0: You might not know this, but we have a list of the top candidates in the organization. This is a multi-billion global organization. Your name has been on that list, and this is what we have earmarked for you. You're going to become a director. You're going to have the six-figure salary. Blah 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 blah. We heard you're leaving, and we just wanted to let you know this is what we got. This is what's happening. Do you still want to leave? And I went home and I thought about it and I came back to that same thought. This would be my comfort zone. This is not me growing. This is me being scared. I don't live life from a, from a place of fear, I can't. I have to figure this out. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But at least I can say I tried.
1: I just find it so interesting, like going through your backstory to where you are today. And one of the, well, one of my first questions I wanted to ask you is, as a coach, it's important to connect with people, mm. but it's also important to listen. Mm. And it's also important for people to feel comfortable in front of you to kind of tell their story, share their vulnerabilities, and basically be open for your feedback. So my first question to you is, when did you realise that you were a good listener and that people were able to open up to you?
0: Um... I realized that when I was 13. 13? Yeah. Okay. Um, One of the things that helped me realize that was, you know, when when you're 13 and you're trying to figure out a way of... Getting close to the to the, to the girls, <laughs> and I grew up in a time where you know the whole DSS dark skin crew. We weren't we weren't at that watching. time. You we're know, we weren't the one. We weren't the one at that point in time. Neither was being Nigerian popping at like that point in time either. So it was it was not the was thing to do. But I spent a lot of time just being around my, my friends, like both guys and girls, and I would just get into conversations with people. <laughs> And at first it was like just talking to girls and just listening to them and, and all that kind of stuff, and actually giving advice, just listening. But then I'll get into conversations with some of my male friends. And I'll find that we were going deeper into into deep, real deep conversations and when they were sharing some stuff around their homes and their backgrounds and all that kind of stuff, which as a thirteen year old teenager that's that's it's very mm-hmm. different. And I leave those conversations and go away and go home and like, something about there's something about this. I don't know what it was. But it was when I was thirteen in particular, I remember this incident where a friend of mine she had been kicked out of her house by her mum, and um she called me, and she's been like, "I've been kicked out of my house. I don't know who else to call. I don't know what else to do, but somehow I know you'd be able to help me. Mm-hmm. I remember going down and helping her out, um helping her to move, finding a shelter, and then just knowing what to do and how to manoeuvre how to be able to get a spot quite quickly and all that kind of stuff. I'm very mad because like, I'm still I'm still a young kid. And I was like, why? I remember speaking to her, I was like, why is it you knew that I would be able to help out? She was like, because you always listen. And you're not someone who listens just to give advice. You're someone who listens and you ask questions mm-hmm. and you help us to figure things out. So naturally, I just knew that you would, just, just I don't know, I just knew you'd be, you would be, you'd be the one. And that conversation kind of took me surprise and i think for a while i was like whatever i didn't really think about it and then fast forward a number of years later i was 15 16 year old kid i was navigating the the difficulty of being a teenager and having my voice um because i so i grew up in i born in nigeria grew up in nigeria came in i was like 11 those first four years, I was trying to do the whole fit in, go with the crowd, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. But when you spend a decade plus in Nigeria, your mentality is very, very different to a lot of your age mates who were born and and bred here. And I found that there were so many things from a values perspective that I was opposed to, Mm -hmm. but I found myself doing. Any examples? Um, There were... Things around like um, smoking, going out, um, lying about certain d- different bits and pieces, getting involved in some some road activities and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. where I always had this voice of both my mom and my dad in my head um, of those are like really, really bad and, and wrong things to do. And also when I grew up, like growing up in Nigeria, you grew up in this... there was a city, you still grew up in this very community-driven kind of... And a lot of what they would do was very individualistic. So, all those values and the Bible um, was all instilled Mm. in me. And at first, it was like, oh, well, forget it. I I just want to fit in with the crowd. I want to go with people. I want to be popular. I don't want to be the one who hasn't got any friends. But I found out the longer that went on, the longer internally, I wasn't happy. Externally, I was fine. Externally, I was calm. I was like, I was a strong kid, I used to have fights, all that kind of stuff, people people knew me. But internally, I'll go home and I'll be sad. I'll be depressed, I'll be down, I'll be very very reflective. I was in those periods that I really found that reflective piece kind of came in. So, and I started to think back around like, who am I? Mm. And I'll go back to all those experiences of conversations I've had with my friends. I'll go back to conversations I had with teachers where I used to be asking teachers questions around themselves and blah, 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 blah. I was like, that's who I am. I'm a naturally curious person. I'm someone who knows where the boundaries are. Mm. And I know when I've crossed them how I felt and when I haven't crossed them how I felt, I'm someone who knows that actually, yes, I grew up in a Christian household, but actually my faith is important to me because in this moment in time, I am speaking to God. I'm not speaking to a random person he's one speaking back to me. I recognised that actually those times when I felt the most whole was when I could just be the fullness expression of myself and that was at home by myself with God, with my writing and all that kind of stuff I was doing. And there was at that point in time where I was like, you can either make a choice to keep on doing what you're doing and having the friends you have around you or you can make a choice to, in a sense, reclaim your name, reclaim your identity And what that means is you might lose friends. Mm -hmm. But if you lose friends, are they really your friends? Mm. Um, What that means is you step into, you begin to step into the boldness and the courage of who you've been born and been created to be. Because right now you're currently not doing that. Right now you are a carbon copy of other people around you. Mm. And you know what? If you're going to go down, might as well go down being unique. So, imagine being 15-year-old. This is a conversation. Those a heavy <laughs> well, this, 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 yeah. this. And that's As I said, there's a... I think there's always been this deepness element to me mm-hmm. that I never really recognized, especially when I was younger. But I think when we moved and I was searching for fulfillment, I was searching for wholeness, I was searching for peace, I was searching for friendship and companionship all those different things I was searching for externally Mm. I had to go through that process and recognize that actually I didn't need to get those externally first I had to get those internally first
1: Mm.
0: and that was where I say there was a there was a switch there was a in a sense a rebirth of who I was and I said to me very very differently there were certain people that meant that I, I no longer became friends with because I no longer um bunked off school i no longer was being an idiot like i remember we used to have like i joke my wife all the time like just last week we were in morocco and i was like oh you should remember your french from back in there she's like yeah you were in french lessons i was like no i was in french lessons we were in the back of the room playing poker that's (laughs) that's kind of how we were moving i was that kind of person where i just played a part Mm -hmm. i was acting for a very long time i wasn't really me the only time i was ever me was when I was in those one-to-one conversations with my guy friends and my girlfriends. Um, and that's what I could hold on to. I was like, there's something around that, that's me. Mm-hmm. And I want to do more of that. I want to step more into that. So that's literally where it kind of came from. And that element has stayed with me all the way throughout my career. Mm-hmm. So even when I went to um, university, for example, made friends, um, met my girlfriend who now my wife um at university all of that was around creating a close community with with people but fundamentally i always said i always want to just be myself and my wife says all the time like the reason why she she was curious about me was i asked her questions that no one else had ever done Like i one time i go into a car and she had like teddy bears there like you got kids like <laughs> uh, your age. She's like, What? And she was like I <laughs> dare you kind of thing. So like, I know ever had the audacity to kinda of ask me that. But that for me has always been if I wanna know something, mm-hmm. then what I'm ever gonna know is to ask. Yeah. And I also hate surface conversations. I like to go in deeper. So I knew that was a skill set that I, I kinda had. Mm-hmm. So when I went to university, at that point in time I was like, what does that I wanna what does I wanna do? It's like I'm curious about people, I'm curious about numbers, um, and I also want to make a lot of money. But actually, in all these different things, I think economics kind of makes sense, because it allows me to touch people, um, numbers, and potentially I can make money with it. So let me step into economics, and that gives me a wider, a kind of wider, so I went, I went into that. And interestingly enough, throughout my career, what's kind of separated me has been my willingness to be able to be curious about people, mm-hmm. about organizations, about strategies. I'm My first um, proper, post-post proper role, um, I remember going to an organization and you had finance on one side, engineering, design, um, and a couple of the bits of elements around the organization. And they were all very like separate units. I'm mm. asking questions like, why, why are we like this? We're all working together on a project, but we seem to be in silos. People are like, that's how it's always been. So I'm like, but why? It doesn't make any sense to me. So I'll, I'll go on a ride and drive with an engineer and get to know what they were doing. I'll go on a, and I started to be that bridge and building relationships. And what I saw was by me feeding my curiosity, by me asking questions, by me taking an interest in people mm-hmm. and what they did, not just you're a function of X. Who are you? What are you about? I built great relationships. My projects were amazing. We could come together and talk about stuff. I can be the advocate that like, used to be like finances, black and white, flammer, I would say no. I became the person who was like, I'm not going to say no. But I want to understand how you adding that X piece makes a difference to this project. Mm-hmm. And then we'll go into the meeting together. We'll be able to advocate to um, the senior project management like this is why we need this. And it was a very, very different way of doing things. But it worked. Our projects mm-hmm. made more money than everyone else. So... At that point in time, I mean, you're not necessarily thinking coaching, but you can start to see the different skill sets of asking people questions, being interested in the individual, really actively listening to what they're saying, being able to remember all of that kind of stuff, being able to even like challenge them without being combative. Mm. Like all those different elements, or just me doing me in a finance role. But they're also all skill sets that I utilize right now as, as a coach. Mm-hmm. So it's been able to kind of flow through all of that, even like I said, from way back from when I was younger to now. That's when people ask me, like, how long have you been doing this? For? I'm like, oh, officially, we can say it's been like six or seven years unofficially well, i've been doing this as a teenager mm. Like you can go back to people who 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 know me from there and i tell you like i've always been that person mm-hmm. i always be that person to be like if you come around me i'm going to challenge to level up and do better yeah that's just how i feel that is my not like go around saying i'm wearing as as a, as a badge of honor but i feel like part of what i do well is to call out what's inside of you so i'm not there to give you the answers but I know I can ask you questions that will help you think a lot, a lot deeper mm-hmm. to help you then figure out what you need to do next. And that for me is a calling that I take very, very seriously and a lot of what I do right now with clients.
1: Love that. Love that. There's so many different points to pick up <laughs> on. <laughs> but on the whole, I think what I really love about your answer is the kind of independence of thought where you're 14, 15, 16, and you're able to, I guess, turn down all the noise and focus inwardly on yourself and start to get to know yourself like fully and fully in terms of who you are, where you are, and what don't you like about things that are going currently. And I think that's even what people struggle with today, like Uh. being able to take the time out and understanding themselves a little bit more. But you mentioned that you're from a Nigerian household and you had all of these, like, I guess, standards kind of placed on you in terms of what you need to do. At the age of say 16, 17, 18, focus on yourself is probably less important compared to your career or what you're trying to think of doing next, especially from your parents, that kind of influence. So did you, like, originally toy with the idea of doing something not in finance, or was finance always on your heart to do, would you say? I I did toy with the idea of not if finance was one of the options I
0: had. Mm -hmm. I think I've always been fortunate enough to come from those own households where my parents never told me I had to do X. Mm -hmm. That want to work with me. I, I was. I've, I've been a rebel. <laughs> 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 My parents' thing was always: you're going to go to university. You do whatever makes you happy, mm. but just whatever you do, make sure you, you're, um, you're great at it. And the three things I did at A levels was economics, psychology, and IT, mm-hmm. because it's people, money, numbers, things that have always been really, really like. Even I remember being part of what how to make money back in the day was I used to, further back, probably a six, seven-year-old kid, I was that kind of kid where, for those who don't know, I used to have, we used to have VCR players. Mm. I would take a VCR apart just to figure out how it works and then put it back together again with about 10 screws missing. But that mm. was me. At teenager, I'm the kind of kid where I used to like build computers or people needed computers fixing. I'll build one out, fix it, and sell them to them. Because mm-hmm. for me, it's always been like, what what makes thin tick? So the psychology, the mu- the the numbers and the IT all come together for me. It's around understanding the fundamentals of who we are mm-hmm. as individuals and then who we are as a as a society and how those those, those things kinda of come together. So that's where that link has always been. So even when I was thinking around what I wanted to do. I never had my parents' voice in my ear saying, oh, do this mm. and do that. It was more around actually what gives you a breath because I'd never wanted to go down narrow. Mm. I was like, what gives me the biggest breath that I know that I can still play around with and enjoy for the next couple of years as I figure out what my next venture is. That's why I went in economics because economics opens up so many many doors. But I also knew that if I'm going on economics road, I don't want to become uh, an accountant. Mm-hmm. I find accountancy boring. <laughs> Whereas
1: they're <laughs> saying this, I'm like this guy.
0: I find I kind of boring. I don't want to do anything around um audit or anything yeah, else like yeah, that. Yeah. But even though at the same time those who were going down a particular route, I'm like, actually, I don't have a lot of money there. Mm. But I'm like, I find that boring. I want to go down more of a commercial, finance, business, and partnering kind of route. So that's why I chose like um SEMO.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. that aligned more with who I am. Even Some of the elements around the psychology, the elements of stuff when I'm in negotiations, I can pull that out. So, there's always been that thread and pattern through the decisions I've made. Have have always been international or intentional between that people, psychology, money, and
1: finance all kind of coming together. Yeah, no, I love that. And as a finance, <laughs> <laughs> I I had, like, I totally hear what you're saying, like, that kind of. Like you said, like breath, give you more opportunities, yeah. more things to do and become a much more skilled professional mm-hmm. in like multiple areas rather than just one. Um, mm-hmm. So embarking on your career within finance, like how was that for you? Were you already thinking of doing coaching later down the road or were you kind of playing the game in terms of a corporate sense of like, let me do what I can do here? Like how were you thinking about your career at that point? Now, nah,
0: I was never thinking about coaching down the road. I always knew that I was going to... Run my own business, do my own thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what that was going to be like, but that was like way down the line. Mm-hmm. When I came into it, honestly, at the start, it was I need to. So I, I got married when I was twenty two.
1: Oh, whoa. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I got married when I was twenty two. Um, Martha's twenty one, and then we had um a kid a year later, mm-hmm. and this was also in the middle of a recession. So when we got married and left uni, I had initially had a job earmarked for me to go and work in um, during a graduate scheme at Barclays and go to Canera Wharf, and receptionist got cancelled. So the first probably year was me doing dead-end jobs, earning 11490 trying to sustain uh, a wife and a baby on next to nothing. We we had nothing. We had a lot of red letters we had a lot of debt. Um, it was tough. So that was like first year and then I managed to land uh, um I got a job in, in London and I stayed working there for like another year or so, doing like a system management account and stuff like that. And when I started looking at that, I was like, Okay, I wanna do my CMA. So it's expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a lot of time. I need to get a company to um, to pay for me to actually be able to to do this. Who are the companies I can potentially pay for me? I don't know. So I started looking around. No one's really biting. they are still coming out of that recession period kind of thing. And then I remember saying, you know, why don't you just start it? Start mm-hmm. your CMA. That actually makes you a lot more interesting to, especially that first early five five stages. I remember borrowing some money from my parents. I started my CMA, and that literally was the start of my career because then once I started doing that. Um, managed to get a company to then like join them, join their graduate school In the end, they they paid for my whole thing. I remember like part of that whole asking. Um, my one of my like, Bible verses: you don't ask, you don't get. Mm-hmm. So, even when I moved to that company, I'd already start my semen, Like I said, to pay for the first five sessions already. I remember joining them, and I was like, "Well, I've already paid for this five. Are you not going to compensate me?" And they're like, that's not part of our policy. You started doing that before you started. I'm like, okay, but you're not saying it's not. No, so can you go back to your HR? And they came back and they paid me. <laughs> so it's like those kind of principles, that's where my career actually started out Yeah. In finance. So I did that, did my CMA, got qualified. And then like three years in, in doing that, I was kind of like, okay, I need to earn more money. I've got two kids. Um and to pay for like the schools and all that kind of stuff. And this was not was not the level that I wanted to do. So my drive wasn't necessarily about my career. My drive was, I just need to make money. Mm. So when I moved roles, I remember I moved from like that role went for like 30K to like 55K. And I moved into a role that, you know, honestly, like 40% that role, I didn't have a clue what I was gonna do. But I managed to, to get the job. And I stepped into that When I think That was the first time When I got into something I was like "Raw, okay I'm in my position where If I go hard with this I could really take this To the next level mm-hmm. And I remember getting um, Within I think it was within nine months I got a promotion and They created a brand new role for me And then I started to kind of Go through that Probably Three years into that role As much as I was enjoying it I felt I was settling. So I've always been someone who can listen to when I am in a comfort zone, when I'm not in a comfort zone. And all this time, all these years, I had not been in a comfort zone, either financially or I've been been hustling, trying to just kind of make ends meet, all that kind of stuff. That job was the first time for a small period of time where it felt comfortable. And I enjoyed that comfort for a little while. But then I stopped and asked myself, like, am I really growing? Or am I settling? Mm. And as soon as I had that thought, I um, remember going for a run, and I just felt like God speaking to me, like, "No, you're settling. You can do so much more to what you can. You're capable of doing. That' why you're not doing it." I remember having a conversation with with my wife about that. She's like, "Yeah, I don't remember like you used to talk about all the different bits and pieces of stuff you want to do, and like you would, you're gonna leave, you're gonna become a contractor, blah 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 blah." I was like, yeah, no, but Mm. it's hard out there. It's this, it's that, it's that. I had all these different excuses kind of stuff. But I'm that kind of person where once I thought was in my head, I started to think about it. I was like, one of my biggest things is I always want to be a model to my children. And I never want to be in a position where I'm talking to my kids and they can turn around and be like, yeah, but daddy, you you didn't do that. And you're telling us to do it. Like that's that's you being a hypocrite. Mm. I don't ever use those words, but in my head, I'm like, I don't know want to do that. I'm supposed to be the the head of my house, and therefore, even with that, I there's certain things and behaviors that I need to be able to model. If I'm settling, I'm not modeling those behaviors. I need to quit. So, I went back. I had a very one of the hardest conversations I had with my wife. Mm-hmm. I'm like I've I'm been thinking about this, and I'm gonna quit. And she's like, "Okay, what does that mean for us? Because I was that's the main breadwinner in my house. How are we gonna pay our bills? Blah 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 blah." And I was like, "Maybe I don't. I don't have this figured out. I don't know." And she went away and prayed about it and came back. She's like, "You know what? We started with nothing. We were we were poor. We were not poor. we were poor. We were levelled down." And she's like, "I feel like." So something that's important to you, but I feel like we'll be okay. So kind of go for it. And I always say for me, as long as I got my faith and my wife who's got my back, I figure everything out. Yeah. So I went in to work and I told them I was leaving. I got cussed out. Really? I got cussed out. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing? This is this is crazy. What are you jumping into? Blah 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 blah. I was like, I know it doesn't make any sense to you. Doesn't make any sense to me right now, but mm. that's this is what I'm gonna do. Did you know what you were gonna do? I when didn't know what you, I was gonna do So yeah. you're like, I'm quitting. We're not asking quitting, you no, what you're no, doing no. next. You're like, I don't know. No. No. I don't know. I was like, I wanted to I was like, I wanted to go into contract. it was was gonna be my thing. Yeah. But obviously with contracts, you know, you need to be available on like a week's notice. Yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. in my role, because of what I had, I had a like a six month kind of thing. Wow. So me saying I'm quitting, I really don't know what I'm going to because I can't get I can't get a contract role yeah, like that because there's there's yeah, wait wait until the end. So after getting cost that at work, blah, 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 blah. That wasn't for like, no, this was in three weeks. And then I get a um a message saying um our CFO from the state is flying in. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Never met him before. I'm like, why do I care? But the message came through. Next day he's like, oh, he wants to see you. So I go in, sit down with him. Hey, how you doing? Blah, 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 blah. We've been watching you for the last couple of years. And he's like, you know, gives me this thing, it's like, you might not know this, but we have a list of the top candidates in the organization. This is a multi billion global organization. Your name has been on that list. And this is what we have earmarked for you. You're gonna become a director, you're gonna have the six figure salary, blah, 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 blah. We heard you're leaving and we just wanted to let you know this is what we got this is what's happening. Do you still wanna leave? Mm Mm-hmm. I was like, well, you know, like right. <laughs> those numbers, those zeros look nice. So and I went home and I told my wife about it. And like, do what you want to do, it's up to you. And I thought about it and I came back to that same thought. This would be me my comfort zone. This is not me growing. Mm. This is me being scared. I don't live life from a from a place of fear. I can't. I have to figure this out. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But at least I can say I tried. That's that's always been my mindset. Mm. I turn it down. Turn it down. So my, my notice, mine reduced to reduce my notice to three months. they having conversations with recruiters and stuff out there. And they're all like, yeah, you can't become a contractor. You've been in corporate for the last like, 13, 14 years. You don't, you have to hit the ground running. We don't think that's you, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. But I knew what I, what, who I was what I was 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 kind of bringing. But in my head, there was also this, because it's not like I have this year plan. It's not like I have a nest egg because mm-hmm. I made the decision so quickly and suddenly. There was no plan. Mm-hmm. And for those peri- for that period of time, there was a lot of fear, worry, anxiety. Asking myself, Have I made the right choice? Have I made the right decision? Can I backtrack? Am I stupid turning that money down? All of that kind of stuff was there for me. But every single time I came back to just just have faith and, and trust. Like have always been there for you guys have navigated a lot. Just trust. Eventually, you know um left, got a contract role, did the first one, did that for about six months. That war was boring as. And then I got a call from um a CFO. And he was like, oh, one of the directors has recommended you to come and help us to do, do this project. It's like a turnaround project. Um, we're losing about um, 100 million plus on this project. And we need someone to come in and we think you'd be great for it. So I was like, okay. All right. And all we, we never had an interview. All we ever did was have a 20-minute conversation about how much they were going to pay me. <laughs> that was the maddest thing to me. Because I'm like... And all it was because someone else from a different company had recommended me to come and do this. Thing. I was like, wow, like reputation. Mm-hmm. Even when I left, and that was the company I left. So even when I left, and I didn't leave on bad terms and all that kind of stuff, I left well. Well, I remember when I was leaving to a point where they even changed my contract. They were like, oh, we'll give you a role in contract. So it come from you're crazy, you're crazy, crazy, like, no, we value what you're doing. So even when you're leaving a space and a place, you leaving well, but also being excellent, always excellent at what you do, they will still bend over backwards just to support you. They don't want to support you, but they yeah, would. Yeah. So I went into that, and that was literally the, the start. Um, I did that, and one of the things that when I was having those conversations with myself that really, really clicked in for me, that I always said... I'd always worked In organizations Where I was the only Black leader mm-hmm. I'm not a Black leader Probably a black person Most of the time um, And that sucked I would have to go into Board meetings And dealing with these people Who did not understand me Who didn't understand So many things Of what they were saying In that room How it was wrong It was racist It was culture On so many levels I had to check people on s- so many times that it was tiring and it was exhausting and it was part of what just made it not, not fun. I think there's probably been only two leaders I've had in my corporate career where they were great leaders. The rest of them just absolutely sucked. Mm-hmm. And one thing I'd always seen was when I was in leadership positions, my teams always thrived. The reason why they thrived was because not because I was the smartest. That most of them, ever, in fact, every single time apart from one team I led, every single person had been at least fifteen years older than me. So they've been working longer than they've been alive. They knew what they were doing. But the difference I was brought to the table was I invested in them as people. I spent time like understanding like their families, their drivers. So it wasn't it was around. Some people didn't want money. That wasn't going to drive them. Some people didn't want promotion. I was going to drive them. But being able to show intentionality around who are you as a person Mm. how can I help mold and build and shape you to become even better not just that work but at home as a human being as which is what I described as leadership as a leader as a person the give back they always gave me was we can't give you money or flowers or presents but we can work harder Mm. and every single team I was excelled at so taking that was in my head the whole being on a black person was in my head. The conversation I had with my little son when he was eight who wanted to work where daddy wanted to work and I had to, I had to go away and be like, I don't want that for you. All those different things have all been with me and all of them came to the forefront. Mm-hmm. So when I stepped into this role, when I had my first um, company as a consultancy doing this turnaround kind of projects, that's what I came with. So I'm like, okay, cool. This is my first chance and opportunity to be able to start to like, really change culture. Because, well, you're losing money anyway. What's the worst that could happen? No red tape. And I literally just stripped a lot of things back. So we went on a listening exercise, which for them was like, oh, my gosh, you have to come and hit the ground running. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm going to come in and listen. Mm. They're like, that's, that's weird. I was like, I know. But let's do this. So went around, listened to the different departments all around, Um, not just in the UK. There were some all in, in Europe. Um, met with, uh, with a client, external. because I was doing both internal and external facing roles, all this finance business partner roles. Skills all coming coming to free tuition here. And then I was like, okay, I can understand what was going wrong. I was like, okay, we're gonna try and implement this, we're gonna try and change that. Um, rather than me coming up with their ideas, I want I was just changing the culture and dynamics. One thing people will say is they want change. One thing people will say is they want autonomy, they want freedom to, to express themselves. One thing people are not used to doing is having space and places where they can do that. When you give it to them, they don't know what to do. When I'm giving them all the stuff that you think naturally people jump, they're like, um, you're coming into the meeting and we expect you to give us the idea. I'm like, I don't want, you're not getting the idea from me. We're going to come to the meeting and we're going to talk. I want to hear your voices. I'm like, absolute aliens. And these people have been doing this for years. Mm. But over the time of that period, we did that. We changed the culture. People's voices were heard. They were listened to. They were respected. I changed some of the systems. I bypassed a lot of stuff because we could at that point in time. Again, people were like struggled with all of that. Project made up probably was it three four hundred million. Oh wow! Like from losing a hundred million to make making that making that money. Mm-hmm. So like, okay, there's there's something here, and obviously they were like, yeah, there's something here. We want it for your next one, so they <laughs> they renewed that contract. <laughs> straight <laughs> they they kept me on and we jumped to the next one and I helped them make more money and it gave me the first real taste of being able to start to change culture dynamics mm. it gave me that real first test of just a taste of working with senior leaders but working with senior leaders not the way I was doing purely in finance but more around I could sit down with the CEOs and have dinner talks mm. around business, but we're talking about their life. Yeah, And I'm challenging them about stuff and getting them to think very different. And I could see how those conversations were changing, how they were leading the team and the organization of like 10, 15, 20,000 people just from having dinner conversations where we're talking about business. Mm. So that was the first real in it. And I enjoyed it. I loved it. But then again, I started together. I was like, yeah, you're doing some of what you said you wanted to do, but it's this one foot in, one foot out kind of thing. You haven't gone all in. I was like, what would it look like if I went all in? That would literally be me, like, just going straight into coaching, working with the leaders. And the reason why I, d- I chose to work with leaders is I recognised, initially I was like, everyone needs it across the whole organisation. I'm like, yes, they do. However whether you like it or not, leaders are the ones that kind of set the tone and model the right the right behaviors. Actually, yeah. And if I really want to see some of those changes that I want to see in organizations, I'm going to have to work with the leaders. Mm-hmm. It's not going to come from the middle. It has to come from the top. And the, the dynamics I really wanted to change, even around when we talk about inclusion, equity and psychological safety and all those kind of different elements. If someone does not care, they're not going to do anything about it they'll just pay lip service. Whereas if I can get you to check yourself, if I can get you to check your biases, if I can get you to change your behavioral pattern, effectively your filters, which is your mindset, you begin to care. Mm. You begin to look at things differently. That's where all of that whole thing was kind of birthed. So after thinking about it, I was like, okay, cool. Let me go all in. I started my new company. So I was doing both my old one and my new one mindset shift, like kind of side by side. And then I made a decision like, I just want to go completely all in a mindset shift. But when I made that decision, a couple of months later, the pandemic hits. Mm. So I'm like, yeah, I can't really go all in now. Every Tom, Dick and Harry are all out there in the virtual world. They're people where this is their world. They're known for this. They've been doing this for years. I can't step into that right now, but then that voice came back. Like, why not? Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's a pandemic. People are getting furloughed left, right, and center. You want me to go? I still got to pay my bills. For my fa- why not? I was like, okay, why not? Indeed. Mm-hmm. So I literally had that conversation with the company I was working with. They had furloughed ninety percent of their staff. I was previously I was I was one of the highest. Like bills on there, and I still was because now 90% of and stuff are gone, and they kept me on. This is the restructuring family. No, no. The during the pandemic, okay, yeah. Okay, okay, one okay. of my, my old company as a consultancy <laughs> during the pandemic, they had kept me on. They were still paying a very, very high wage, wage bill when they're filling that and their staff. Wow. So it was a blessing in a sense, but at the same time, it was one of those things where it's like that. It was that same like six figure contracts. Like you have got this in your hand but this is what you've really been called to do or you've mm. got to make a decision to step into what you've been called to do? So mm. I told them I was leaving. Um, I told them I just need to go all in on what I'm doing around coaching and development. And they'd seen mm. little bits and pieces of it anyway because I was not shy about it. Um, they were like, fine, we're going to stand. Obviously, we don't want to lose you. I I literally, in my career, I think I've probably generated about $1.2 billion for clients mm. in sales. So I was, I was good at what I did. But... And obviously they were like, we've well, always anything we can do to keep you. Even though it's a bit tough out there, we can look into like raising, like give you more money, blah, 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 blah. Again, it was nice. But I was like, no, I I need to do this. I need to fully step into this. So I fully stepped into mindset shift. And I was like, my approach is going to be, and bear in mind, part of my whole preparation, I'd, I'd gone around, gone out, got qualified. Mm-hmm. So I had all that kind of stuff in, in place anyway. But I'm like, I want to be able to shift the mindsets of leaders to what we were talking about earlier on, to be able to lead from the inside out and not the outside in. Because mm-hmm. so many times people let the external noise kind of cloud their judgment. If I'm really going to shift the behavioral patterns of leaders, I need to be able to be in spaces and places where they are operating. And the only way I know how to, to do that is through content. So I started going hard on LinkedIn and writing stuff around some of my experiences and all that kind of stuff. Launched a podcast so I can have conversations with people because I just kind of love talking. And I was like, well, what I'm just going to do is just take my time to just slowly start to build up and build up and build up my clients and see where this goes. Is it going to get to where I wanted to get to? I don't know. Am I going to be happy the fact that I actually gave it a go and I tried and I went all in on something? I am. And can I live with that? Yes, I can. Okay, go for it, and that's literally what it was. Yeah, and that's been that's been the journey of the last four years. That's amazing.
1: That's amazing. So there's so many different areas again. Like, <laughs> so which I'll start with. Okay, I'm gonna start with this question. Why didn't you? Well, when you quit that um, consultancy, that contract with that consultancy, did you already have clients lined up for mindset shift? No. We, why didn't you try and do both at the same time? I was trying. I was not successful Mm
0: -hmm. and I also recognized that I was pouring a lot of energy into that consultancy because of the work I was doing at that point in time Mm. and one thing I recognized I, I saw a difference just before I said to myself I was leaving I was at that position where I hated what I was doing I didn't like what I was doing anymore and it was draining a lot of mental energy for me and therefore, I couldn't then give to Mindset Shift in a way that I could. Because I was so you know when you're in a work where you look at a clock and it looks like it's moved one second. <laughs> you're just yeah. you're just so down about it. Yeah. Like mentally you can't do anything else. Whereas the other things you're doing stuff, you're like, oh, you look up oh, two hours is gone. Yeah. That mental drain sucks your creativity. Mm and if you're going to get clients in a very different way especially you step into something that's brand new that's not your field I'm not from an LND background I don't have HR contacts I got none of that you need to be creative mm. I had I was in my, my I was dead in a sense I was drained so it was up until that point where I made that decision I'm like I started to get that creativity back mm. and then what happened was when I made that decision I didn't have the clients when I made a decision. By the time I had left, I, did, I had landed a new client which was like, oh, i State Council. But all that came from me going out and doing a speaking event and then reaching out to someone and having a conversation afterwards and following up and and eventually kind of happened. But I was very much determined that if I've said yes, I'm that kind of person. Like if I've said yes, I'm going to do this, I'm dogged with it. Mm. Like it might not land straight away, but I'm going to figure out a way to kind kind of make it work. Mm-hmm. At least give it a very, very good go. I could not give a very very good goal when I was kind of locked into both those things. I had to have that freedom and that separation to to go all in. Mm
1: -hmm. And on that right, because you said about following through with what you say, and that's probably one of a key leadership trait, I'd say right. And some people go from a space of from managing to leading, Mm -hmm. and there are places of leadership, but they don't like to manage, they don't like to lead. And I was just wondering, like, how do you like help? these people overcome this kind of shift where they go away from thinking solely about the work but start thinking about the people. Because some people are very resistive to that, especially like um, like some of my friends who run businesses. They love the business, mm. but they don't like the people yeah. that they're working with sometimes because it can slow things down. And like, how do you try and convince them that it's not a waste of time to invest more time in your people rather than seeing it as just a simple transaction? There are some people I don't waste my time
0: trying to convince. <laughs> Honestly <laughs> speaking, they're, <laughs> they're, there are some people who should not lead people. Mm-hmm. There are some people who I have met some technically brilliant leaders mm-hmm. who, when it comes to what they are doing and their craft, they are excellent at it. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the people side of things, they suck at it. And they are trying to spend their time and their energy trying to really, really hone. And then I stopped and I asked them, like, Do you actually want to do this? Nine times out of ten, the answer is no. Mm. If someone doesn't want to do something, why are you trying to force them to do so? They're like, oh, because the only way that we can get ahead. I'm like, but is it though? Have you actually stopped and had that conversation and be like, actually, is there ways we can change the structure so we can have um SMEs? Who still actually get ahead? Because you need to have that voice in those rooms, in those mm-hmm. senior leadership rooms. But unless you have to lead teams, there have you stopped to think about ways we can actually challenge and change our? Because they're sucking the life out you. What actually made you great? You're no longer great at it. And what that then does is, I was good at this, and this is my mm-hmm. foundation. Well, now you kind of take it with some of my foundation. Now I'm having to lead people and learn a new skill that I'm really, really bad at, which that makes me really insecure. And it leads to so much stuff that a person gets worse rather than getting better. Mm-hmm. They're, no, they're no longer really an asset. A lot of people work with a lot of people who are like, that person should not be leading people. So I don't, I'm not trying to force them. There have a lot of um, people who've run scale up organizations who turn into unicorns. And I've had conversations with them like, yeah, you need to get people managers. This, this ain't you. And they'll be like, yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll, I will happily step away from that side, I think, and give it to someone else. So not by force by force do you need to lead mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. That's fundamentally what I would say. Now, if you want to do it and you recognize that it's a skill set that you need to learn because it doesn't come naturally to you, it's recognizing that you're going to mess up is key. There is no perfect – every – I can. Link up with you today, and we can have a conversation, and I can get to know you, and be like, All right, boom, like I, I know, I know what you're about. And then tomorrow, a new person joins, and I try to apply the same principles to you to that person. It's not going to work, mm. and that's why people get frustrated. Those who are technically gifted, it's they operate in a space of. Um, There's like complexity, and there's um, complicated. Complicated is like binary: one plus one equals to two. There's expertise, all that kind of stuff. That makes perfect sense. You can data analyze it to death. Works. No, this. I'm gonna leave that there. Walk away and come back. It will be right there. That works. That's 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 complicated lifestyle. Complexity is people. Mm -hmm. What I'm gonna do for you is not gonna work for person B. It's not gonna work for person C. That's a whole different. You're constantly learning and iterating. That's frustrating, Mm. especially when you're not not used to that. So that's why I was like, embrace it. Let recognize the fact that if you're going to really step into it, it's going to take time. You're not going to get it wrong. You're going to have to be very, very patient with yourself, patient with other people. What are the expectations? Like, there's so much stuff around that that you sit down and you help that person to understand. Once they once they recognize that and you take away the the ego of it, it's a lot easy, because at the deepest level. All I'm trying to do is connect with you.
1: Mm.
0: All I'm trying to do is see you. How do I do that? I get to know you. That's it. Once you do that, everything else is easy. Because mm. then now I know, actually, you know what? You're someone who's motivated by praise. You don't like it publicly. You like it privately. Or you like it when I've done it in other, in other spaces where other people come around to you and be like, you know what, your manager spoke to you about that. All right, cool. Let me do that for you. Next man's like, for you, you just want some money. All right. How can we How can we do that? How can we look into giving you like pay rises or even it might be like, how can we give you a little gift or something? Something that makes you feel good. You begin to understand the drivers and motivations of people. Some people, it's actually turn out and be like, you should not be in this company. Mm. You are that good where you need to go somewhere else. Now, when someone comes to you and tells you you're that good to go somewhere else, at first be like, they're just, they're just trying to get rid of me. But they sit down and explain to you, you work harder. Even though they're telling you that you need to leave because you're that good, while you're still there, the amount of effort you go, goes from like, I don't know it's a mat spot, it goes from 100 to like 200%. Because all you've done is shown that I see you. I see what you're capable of and I want the best for you. And I don't think it's here because where you can go to next, we don't currently have that infrastructure in place for you. Just little things like that are fundamental shifts that don't require that much apart from just seeing that person, spending Mm -hmm. time with that person, understanding that person. Now in large organizations, that's obviously a lot harder to do. But that's why you have leaders in positions who are leading teams who understand all of that. Mm -hmm. So as a CEO, I need to to understand my C-suite. That's my team. If I understand them well, I get the best out of them. But me understanding them and modeling that behavior, then I'll take that down and trickle that down to maybe their directors. And then their directors down to, and that's how you kind of get that trickle down effect all the way throughout. Mm. But if from the top, the leaders are not modeling that behavior and you're seeing your, your CEO and your C-suite acting up, treating people bad, stepping on each other, all that kind of stuff, that's what's just going to permeate throughout the organization. That's why you see a lot of technically gifted people in positions of leading people that should not be doing so, yeah. and that's the change and the shift that, that kind of to happen. Now you're seeing a lot more, and I think the next generation are helping a lot with this because they are the ones who, are like, yeah, I ain't doing that, <laughs> or rightly or wrongly, they'll call you out on blind on Twitter on on all that kind of stuff. They'll they'll literally talk about companies' culture in spaces that yeah. didn't exist previously in ways that. People didn't do. So companies have been a bit more cautious and they're starting to slowly start to change. But that challenge is always needed and necessary, even like the whole like hybrid working thing. Mm-hmm. I, I remember I was in the old com- company I moved to. I was the first person to start working from home. This is way back, like eight years before the pandemic.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The reason why I said? is like, I'm leading a team and I come into work and I spend nine to five, Monday to Friday, working with my team. I don't have time to work for myself. When I'm to do that when I get home. That's not what you pay me for. I have a family that I love. I don't know whether you love yours. I love mine. I want to spend time with them. I have two beautiful children. I want to spend time with them. Therefore, we need to change the policy that allows me to, to have Monday and Friday off so I can spend that doing the work I need to do without being distracted by the team. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'll be with the team. And what that does is empower them that they don't necessarily need me. And there's a lot of changes and stuff in culture that also help me to kind of do. And at first they were like, oh, we don't do that. I was like, no, let's, let's, let's try it out. They went, went away, spoke to the headquarters in Germany. They're like, uh, okay, let's do this. And they did it for a year. And again, everything was fine. Mm-hmm. Their numbers were there. The productivity was there. The team engagement was there. Culture, and they were like, oh, wow. But if I wasn't willing to push back and be like, I need this, there are other managers I know who also suffering. They didn't say nothing. Mm-hmm. So for me, and when we go back to your question around the whole people thing, It's being able to see and understand and ask questions and feed your curiosity. That's really how you get the best out of people. Mm. But that also starts with you knowing who you are. There are some people who are just miserable. (laughs) And if you're a miserable person, my friend, don't manage people. No no one wants (laughs) your miserableness around you. Know yourself. Know that, actually, do I have the stretch and the scope to be able to grow into this Mm -hmm. and do I want to? If the answer to that is yes, then that's fine. If you don't want to, get people in positions who can do that. Mm. Because if not, you will make other people's lives worse. And we see that day in, day out. Mm. That's not what you want.
1: Yeah, and it, it seems to me it's like the main shift or mindset shift that you're encouraging is for leaders to be understanding. It leads to listen, leaders to actually take an active interest in what their people are doing. Because if you're understanding, then that can effectively help your diet reports perform better. Is, that, is my understanding correctly?
0: It is, it is. It's enabling leaders to be able to, to see. Mm. See themselves first, and then see others. Um, I have this keynote that I give all the time, and it's always very polarizing. But I say leaders leaders need to be selfish, mm. which is the whole different, that, oh my gosh, leaders need to care about other people. I'm like, actually, no. Leaders need to be selfish, and here's the reason why. When I... I'm not selfish. All I do is always pour and pour and pour into other people. I don't have any time for myself. I get empty. I get tired. I get cranky. I get annoyed. I get frustrated. My creativity goes down. I'm not my best. So what I'm giving to you is not my best. And that's a disrespect to you. However, when I create the time to be selfish, to invest in myself, whether it's coaching, running, creating that space, whatever that looks like, I am better for it. The better me makes you better, mm-hmm. because then I can give you that better me. I can give you my best always. That's what you should always have. That's respectful. So that's why you need to be selfish. When you're not, why? Why are you? Oh, because I read this book and this book said that ladies, these eat last. And I'm like, no, 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 my friend. You you need to recognize what the context yeah. is. Even as a, as a parent, a lot of what I've learned over the years that I've been taking to the corporate came from home. I'm like. I couldn't be the best I could be for my wife. I couldn't be the best I could be for my kids when I wasn't creating space for myself. We talked about earlier on the start. I was like, I used to wake up early morning around five and go for a run. Now, I'm not the whole, you need to wake up at five o'clock in the morning. Sleep. That's that's that's, that's, not what I'm, that's not what I'm preaching. I'm preaching more around, I used to work 16-hour 16, 16 days. And in that 16-hour day, I'll do that, come home. I had my wife and I had my kids. And then I'll spend some time with them, and then they'll go to bed. And literally in that whole day, I've had no time for me. And that wasn't good enough. So I'm like, okay, work is not going to shift. Mm. My wife and kids aren't going to shift. The only thing that's going to shift for me is sleep. Okay. let me am I willing to sacrifice sleep to, be able to wake up and have that hour in the morning where I can have my prayers, have my devotional, go for a run. That's my time before the whole world wakes up. Yes. All right, let's try it out. I did that and it felt amazing. Now I've got time for myself. Work. I show up differently. Boom. Energized. All those endorphins kind of going through my body. Creativity been running. I've been flowing through that run. Stuff around the family. Boom. Come home. Spend time with my family. Everyone's good. Yep. Go to bed. Start the day. Everyone's happy. Mm. I'm happy and fulfilled. My wife and family are happy and fulfilled. My work and we are winning and making their money. Everyone's happy. But that came with me choosing, in a sense, people like, sacrifice like yeah give a sacrifice But me and selfish my selfishness is what do i need for me to be better you need to ask yourself that question any ceo or if any leader if you're not asking yourself that question you're doing yourself a disservice you need to
1: yeah yeah no i agree i agree and i think especially coming into this year a lot of people spend time thinking about what they're going to do differently especially in the form of resolutions now debate has changed some people are for resolutions some people are against it What's your opinion on that?
0: Resolutions suck.
1: Yeah. Why'd you say that?
0: Six percent of people don't break them by the third week. Mm -hmm. And I think the status is like 85, 90% of people don't ever follow through them past three months. Resolutions don't have any real, I come in, I write stuff down and boom. Why? Mm. And that's you also using a, a calendar to measure... Okay, the 31st, now it's the first. am I a changed person. No, my friend, you're still the same person you were yesterday, just got a bit more alcohol than you. <laughs> so I'm like, that 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 doesn't work for me.
1: Yeah.
0: Goals are a lot more impactful because, and again, if you want to use like frameworks, the, the most basic one that everyone knows is like smart goals. So it's like, you know, it's measurable, it's achievable, it's realistic, it's timely. I don't really write like the whole realistic stuff because I like dream big. But as a simple as framework, people can use something like that. It's, okay, here's in year 2024, here's what we want to achieve. Mm. I didn't start to think about that on the 1st of January. In fact, like I'll, I'll take me for example. There were, last year, me and my wife were like, you know what, 2024, um, there's a lot more things we want to do as a family. We um, we want to travel more individually. We want to travel as a family. There's certain things I want to do in my business, certain things she wants to do in her career. And by the end of December, I already had probably about five months of what I wanted to achieve in 2024 already earmarked. I already didn't do a locked-in. Mm. As in, I already had those clients, blah, 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 blah. I started thinking about that from last year. I didn't wait till this year to kind of have The holidays, like I said, we came out from Morocco last week. I didn't just wake up on the first like You were going to Morocco. Mm. It was like, no, we said we wanted to travel in 2024. Let's let's plan for that, book it, and then you go. Like, all the stuff you want to do, it's all there. That, for me, is you being intentional. That's what resolutions do not have. There's no real intentionality behind it. There's no real Mm. discipline behind it. It just sounds nice and it feels nice. But if you don't have any discipline behind anything you want to do, there's no intentional of And you don't fundamentally understand what is driving you to do it, you're not going to do it. Mm. I used to like, I said to you about running. When I started running about seven or eight years ago, I hated running. I was the kid where we used to have um, we used to have um, thing at, at school, secondary school, when you have um, you run around.
1: Oh, the field, track and field, track
0: and field. Yeah, I did hundred meters and two hundred meters. When it came time for cross country, I've never done a one cross country in my life because <laughs> I would, you know, I would, I would, I would, <laughs> I would go to MIA every single cross country. I'm man. You can't cross country from from year seven all the way to year eleven. I haven't done one. Because mm. I hated it I hated running long distance Playing football That kind of stuff Cool I do that day in day out Run 100 metres Run 200 metres Running apart from like, Why are people chasing But when I turned um, When I turned 30 I was like There's something around Running that seems to have Holded me I don't know what it is And I don't like it I want to change it Unless you woke up on, been thinking about it 1st of December I went out um, I bought my running gear. I already booked an appointment. I got my trainers, and literally that night before, I laid out my stuff. on first of December, I went out running. It hurt. I did not like it. It was awful. I was like, okay, I'm here now. I said I want to do this. I wanted to not have a go of me, and became it became, a, it became a, a lifestyle for me. A couple of like half marathons, marathons, a marathon later. I used to run every, six miles every day for seven days. Whoa. This is someone who for 30 years hated running. Mm-hmm. But it was that whole intentionality of why am I doing this? There's something that has a hold of me. I don't want to have a hold of me. I, ne- I need to break this. How am I going to break this? Okay, I need to go out and, and do something about it. Well, the first thing you you need to buy a running gear because it's cold. It's, it's December. Got out, buy your stuff. The night before, don't don't wake up in the morning and think, no. Set, it, set the intention the night before. Laid out my stuff. I literally woke up without my alarm, put my stuff on, went out. Mm. Was it hurt? Yes. Are you gonna go in tomorrow? Why not? I did it yesterday. I said to myself, I want to keep on doing this for this 30 days, so I want to go and do it. And once people can get to that position where I don't need the external validation from other people, I need the internal. Every time I say yes to myself, it's a, it's a bigger statement to other areas of your life. Mm. So that's what that became for me. And when you look at the people, are like, oh, why is it that you have this propensity to step outside your comfort zone and and take risks? Like, you got family, you got kids, and blah, blah blah blah. I'm like, it's not propensity to step out of my comfort zone and just take risks. It's when I look back of my life, I don't do that very often, but there's times when I just like, I can see from that 15 year old kid who made that decision to be like, I might lose friends, but I need to reclaim my name. That element always been there for me. And that's that. Me to my, saying to to myself: This is who I am, or what I'm about. This is my identity. This is what I'm. What I'm known for. Mm. And I always want to be authentic to that. So that's that validation that's kind of running through my my discipline and my and myself thought. But everyone has their own what that looks like. But what's happened for a lot of people, and this is why I call my company mindset shift, is there the world has told you. You are not this. You are not that. And the world could be your parents. It could be your friends. It could be your workplaces. All of that. Everyone has had it. And when you now come to make a decision, that's the filter mm. that you make decisions through. And therefore, that stops you. What would happen if you were just able to just shift that filter? So it's like you're you're seething and rather than it just flowing through. You're, f- you're flowing through with. If I've a very good example, um, so when we moved house, we moved to an area that's got heavy, heavy. Um, the water's heavy, mm. so basically it's, it's dry water. And I speak to the guys like, "Why? Why is that?" He's like, "Well, water comes from the same place, but what we tend to get is some places it goes over certain rocks, and those rocks have um, calcium. I think it's calcium oh. and magnesium yeah, and all that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff yeah. in there, and makes the water hard. Mm-hmm. Whereas some other places, it just goes through naturally and it's and it's soft. So, therefore, what they don't need to do is they'll now come in and install a system and that system basically filters the water to make it back to its natural state. That's basically what a mindset shift is. It's you've had all this hard water all the way, all, all over you. What I'm doing is just kind of putting a filter into place or changing that filter. So, now you've got soft water. Now... Your glass just looks shiny, your everything everything tastes good, it feels different, your clothes feel different. Yeah. It's that whole implementation process which people need to go through. Because if you get in make that shift, you see people like, how many times have you seen people do stuff? And you're like, there's no way that person's smarter than me. Mm. There is no way that person smarter than me. Yet they're doing stuff. Some of that might be not even some of that. Some of it is down to um there's, there's a systematic racism element to you that, yes, and it's, it's there. You're not going to change it, shape right now. So are you going to use that as your excuse to stop you, or are you going to be like, okay, that element is there, but how is it that I don't let that become my story? How is it I don't let that become, because if I let that become my story, I'm doing their job for them what is it that I'm actually trying to achieve? What is it that I I I really want in life? When I when I started out like this company, I used to look around and I'm like, I can probably list a handful of black-led coaching organizations in the UK, Um, especially those who are really, really kind of up there working with the kind of organizations like the Footy 100 companies, that kind of stuff, there's, probably, there's a handful of them only. I'm like, why is that? There are, I know as, as a coach in you know, the a lot of time I was told to play humble. I was like, no, as a coach, I'm good at what I do. When I get into those rooms and environments, I got the receipts to prove it. I can I can I can, I can shift the individual, I can shift culture, I can shift but why is it that there are only a handful of us and there's so many coaches out there who are who are starving? As I was like, I don't I don't want to be starving, my friend. I <laughs> I've got mortgage to pay <laughs> It's tough out there I've got things I want to do The impacts I want to make With the money I'm making Not just for my family for, But for the wider society as a whole So how is it that I can get into those spaces and places Well that means that you're going to have to do things That are authentic to you But it might take you a little while But you never lose That um, That desire You never lose that Possibility you just keep on working towards it. And that, for me, has been the the biggest thing. Where And it's been interesting where I've been able to work with so many different amazing clients. I've been able to work, like, in UK, Europe, um, US. Um, the company's grown. I've got associates and stuff working with me now and all that kind of stuff, which is absolutely amazing in a very, very short space of time. And people are asking, you like, oh, how have you been able to do that? And, I, and I, my response is always... I don't have a formula to say, this: you do X, you get Y, you do X, you get Y. That's not how it works. My formula has been, I know what's driving me. I know what feels authentic to me. And therefore, all I'm doing is feeding that curiosity. Mm. There are times when it works. There are times when it doesn't. There are times when things are great. There are times when you get rejections. It is all part of the process. But fundamentally, I am enjoying what I'm doing fundamentally this is where i've been called to do and this is me pouring out my gifts and talents that god gave me from when i was born that i had from when i was a teenager that i use in different spaces and places but now i feel like i'm home because i'm utilizing everything i have even there are times when i'm in conversations and i can bring up my um my finance background and rather than doing a coaching session, but it might be like a strategic conversation and facilitate it. I can bring all those elements. It's like, so I never lose those skill sets that I have with me. They're just part of who I am, but I've just transferred them into somewhere, another arena. Mm. And that is what living a fulfilled life is for me. That's all I ever wanted to do. What would it look like? And that doesn't mean there's so much more I want to do and achieve, but I never ever want to be in a position where I'm like, I didn't live a fulfilled life. I let someone stop me because they told me I am a black man with a name that's hard to pronounce and my country is one that is 419 ridden and I'm never gonna be trusted blah 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 blah. I, I am like, I had all of that. And I am not again one of those people who who says because I've done it, you've done it. That's not that's not my my thing. I've done it because this is my lived experience and this is how I'm approaching life. But I believe you also have a story that is your own, that's unique to you, but you just have that, again, the willingness, the audacity to step into that. If you do that, whatever that looks like for you will be your happiness. And that's what I'm interested in, in other people exploring for themselves.
1: I want to give you a round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're talking directly to me. Um, Shofi, this has been amazing. I've got so many more questions, but pause the time, I'm going to have to wrap it up. Yeah? But I've got so many more questions. But, um, Quickfire questions, yeah. Yeah. So firstly, um, what's the piece of advice you wish you were, you wish you had earlier?
0: You know what? I, I don't have one. And um and this is quick fire, but it says quite quickly, I don't have one because recently someone asked me, as you turn forty, are you gonna be one of those people that write a list and say Forty things. Forty <laughs> things. And I said no. Yeah. Because I believe that every single thing that I've done, the good and the bad and the ugly, have got me to where I'm right now. So
1: I don't have any piece of advice. Just do you. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> 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 On the advice piece then, or just in general, like are there certain things that you hear people say a lot of the time, which generally people will regard as true, but to yourself, you don't think it's true? Yeah. Um,
0: I think it's, it's kind of what I just spoke about right now. I I can't do this because I don't have X. Mm-hmm. So I can't do this because I don't have the contacts. I can't do this because I don't have the, I don't come from this background. I can't do this because I'm not in the right location. All of that for me is a story that you've told yourself. If you were to change that story and you were to, you know, I've actually explored the contacts, the location, the blah, 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 blah. And none of that's worked. Fair enough. But until you've done that, don't just tell yourself a story and then own that story. That's what people do. Mm -hmm. That's not your story. That's just a statement. Don't put a full stop where it doesn't need to be. That's what people need to change the most and that's what annoys me the most when people are like, I can't do this because... i But like, you, have you tried? Mm. No, so why are you saying you can't do it? You haven't tried it yet. Try it. Yeah, you might fail but if you can say you tried, you mm. learn from it. That that for me is
1: honestly fundamentally frustrates in life I've made the most. I like that one. Um, what's a book or resource or film that... You always tell people to live. read. Ooh,
0: my my easiest one, or two. One is the Bible. Um, I, whether you whether you are Christian or not, whether you have faith or not, there is a lot of principles in there that fundamentally help a lot of people, and a lot of business books are based on on the Bible. So that's one. Um, Viktor Frankl's Search for Meaning mm. is another one. I think the That book can, if you take your time to read it properly, can really shake you to your core and let you know that actually you are the one who has the pen in your hand to write your own story. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And if you choose to pick up that pen, there's so much more you can achieve. But you also have a choice not to pick up that pen. Other people write the story for
1: you. And you don't want them to do that. I love that. And on that, talking about the story what would be your words of encouragement for the next guest that I have on this show?
0: Words of encouragement would be be audacious enough to believe in yourself and live from the inside out and on the outside in never being defined by
1: anyone but your inner voice. Love it, love it. And final, final, final question. Where can people find you? <laughs> uh you
0: can find me on LinkedIn, um, most of the time, um on Instagram, um, my podcast everyday leadership. Those are probably the main the main spots that you find me.
1: Shopper, eh? we need to do dinner or lunch at some point.
0: But I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.